My name's Jeff, if we haven't met yet, and, uh, and honestly, uh, we, first service, we did a little Zoom phone call with Beth Ann Nelson. She's one of our missionary partners. She was a part of Crossview 20 years ago, even. Uh, she's in Italy, and technology has changed things for us, so we can actually Zoom people live, which we've done, but then sometimes the Zoom call doesn't work. Uh, so we're still trying to figure out, is it better just to do a video with our missionary partners or try the live call, but it's not working second service, so... You don't get to hear from Beth Ann, I'm sorry. Um, but she might be here in a couple weeks. She said it's quite possible she'd be here over Christmas break and you can talk to her yourself. She was excited um, about what God was doing there and um, eager for Christmas break, which maybe you can relate to, I don't know. Uh, but what that means actually is I get five extra minutes for my sermon, which I don't know if I'll use or not. I might, I won't promise that you'll get out early today. We'll see. Uh, I'm a, you know, we're in this series, Seeing Jesus from the Beginning. So we had the Christmas story read already, but we're kind of spending this Advent Christmas season in the book of Genesis. And one of the things I'm trying to remind you of, uh, maybe teach you if you're new to the church, is that there has never been a time when Jesus wasn't. <laughs> uh, Jesus has always been, and so Jesus doesn't just all of a sudden appear when this baby is born in a manger, Jesus has always been. And Christmas becomes a celebration of God himself descending into his created order, becoming human, humbling himself and, and, and for the reason of, of salvation, to save us from the wreckage we've caused, to save us from our sins and so that's, uh, that's kind of what we've been doing is I, we're, we're going to the very first story in Genesis, or the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, and we actually can see Jesus, I think in healthy ways. There's probably unhealthy ways to do it. I want to do it in healthy ways. And this week we're going to talk about Jacob. And so because of this, I thought I would share a story that I already shared once, so I might as well share it again. I can't believe I'm actually sharing this story. I'm not proud of this story and you may laugh, but I will not join you. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I had somebody come up to me and say they totally did this, so I'm not alone in this. But in my elementary school, sometimes to antagonize our classmates, usually when our teachers weren't looking, is we, we would sweep the heel. You ever do this? Somebody's walking, and you try to catch the heel of their foot with your foot and swing the foot forward so that as they go forward, they hit their own foot and they kind of trip and stumble, right? So we would sweep the heel. We did this all the time in elementary school and we'd laugh. No one ever really actually kind of fell over, but we would trip each other all the time. Well, I kind of hadn't thought about that for a long time, but I'm going to fast forward probably eight, nine, ten years. I'm a college student. I'm 19 years old and I'm falling in love. I don't know if you know this, but guys do really stupid things when they like girls. You like get this, like, I think this girl's really cute. I like her. I want her to like me. I'm going to do something really stupid. So my wife, this is the only happy part of the story, actually, is that Kami is my wife. But when we were dating, uh, she was in Ohio. It had to be the week after Christmas, I think. She was visiting. We were dating. We were in college. And we had gone, because we were at Target, the local Target, and my mom was with us. And like every cashier line was open. 
right? So there's just tons of people. And my, I think my mom bought something. We're walking out, and I, again, failing in all areas of cognitive reasoning, decide, and I've told this story to Jay before and said, don't do this. Don't be like your dad. I decide to sweep her heel. Why not? I mean, what says I really like you more than tripping somebody when you're 19 years old? Now, I haven't done this for a while. I didn't think I'd be that good at it. I did the greatest heel swipe I've ever done. I get her foot. I swing it. She has no idea it's coming. It clicks, and she face plants on the floor at Target in front of everyone. And it like, you know, Christmas music, everything goes silent. They pause the music, right? Everybody looks, everybody, and my mom yells, Jeffrey Thomas! That's my story. That's the whole story right there. I told you you would laugh, and I wouldn't. Now, the only good part of that story is that she's still my wife. We ended up together. She's a forgiving woman. But why do I tell this story? Because I can now immediately identify with our main character. Well, Jesus is always our main character. But the character we'll be looking at, the story of Jacob. Jacob is a heel grabber. He is someone who lives. We'll look at this. I want to set the context. He lives to trip you up. That's what he does. So some of you are like, well, I know about Jacob. And others of you are like, who's Jacob? Well, Jacob's a pretty interesting guy. He... um, if you read through Genesis, he's, you get his birth narrative in Genesis chapter 25, and you don't read about his death until Genesis 49. So basically, the whole second half of the book of Genesis is about Jacob and his family. I actually think his name appears more than Abraham in the book of Genesis. So he's a very, very important person. And one of the stories that we'll look at as we're looking for Jesus in the story of Jacob this morning is the story where Jacob has his name changed. It's an identity transformation that's taking place on a deeper level. We'll talk about that. But Jacob is renamed Israel. That's right, Israel. And so, uh, of course, he's a pretty important person, right? His 12 sons become the the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Pretty important if you're a Bible-believing person to know a little bit about Jacob. So let's start out. We won't get to Jesus yet. I just want to give you a little bit more context. I told you about me tripping Cainy. Let's learn a little bit more about what makes Jacob a heel grabber. What is this? Genesis 25, verse 19, this is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, and we'll just drop down to verse 21. Isaac, this is interesting, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Now, I'll pause there because we're trying to to even like trace some of these, one of the ways we're looking for Jesus is that there are some major themes that are introduced in the book of Genesis, and Jesus becomes the fulfillment of a lot of these things, the culmination of them. And there's just this drama that's unfolding. Well, one of the dramas that we talked about two weeks ago is that there would be the seed of the woman that is born to crush the head of the serpent, right? And so if you remember, last week we talked about Abraham. We didn't get too much into this, but Abraham and Sarah were having trouble having kids. But rather than believing in the promise, and Isaac is the initial fulfillment of that promise for Abraham and Sarah, but rather than trusting God to do what he said he would do, Abraham and Sarah try all kinds of other ways to go about bringing about the promise in their own way on their own terms. 
creates nothing but problems. So at least here we've got Isaac praying. Rebecca isn't having a child, but Isaac prays. He's, maybe he's learned something from his father. He prays. It pleads because she's unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. And the two children struggled with each other in her womb. It was, it was kind of, a, I don't know, a unique experience, and she's curious about this. So she prays to, to God and says, why is this happening to me? And the, the text doesn't, this is where we're left without too many details, but all, all we know is that the Lord told her. We don't know how, but the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very, very beginning, the two nations will be rivals, a good old sibling rivalry. We talked a bit about this last week as well, right? The rivalry and the divisions in the book of Genesis. One nation will be stronger than the other. They'll both be strong, but one will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. Let me pause there just for a second. I don't have time to get into all the stuff with the ancient Near Eastern culture, but the, 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 the firstborn son was favored. That's one of the things, as we learn that God is going to do things in new ways, He's the upside-down kingdom, the paradoxical nature of the way God goes about doing things. God does things all wrong in Genesis, and He's always, he's always lifting up the people who are supposed to be put down. <laughs> and so here He says, well, the younger son is going to be greater than the older son. The older son will serve the younger son. The, the point is, I want you to see from the very beginning, before Jacob is even born, it is clear, and his mom knows this, that he is destined to receive the blessing of God. He's destined to receive the blessing. He knows this, but we'll see what happens as his life unfolds. Does he trust this or does he go about another means? Verse 24, when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one is Esau. He's very red and hairy when he's born. I don't know exactly what that means for an infant, but there you have it. Verse 26, then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. That's what it means, heel grabber, deceiver. He's a hustler. So we're going to read some other texts when we start talking about Jesus, but I'm not going to read. I'm just going to summarize and, and try to help you see even how some of this is unfolding in the book of Genesis, what I think Moses is doing as he's telling these stories. Back in Genesis chapter 1, you have this, humanity is made in the image of God, and then God gives what is sometimes called the cultural mandate. He says to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Exercise dominion over it. In other words, there is a piece of this blessing that God gives to humanity. It's part of our calling to rule and reign and exercise authority in the name of God, to, to rule over, to steward his creation as he would if he were doing it himself. And then there's other part of the blessing, that to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and, and to flourish, to live. So you've got kind of these two sides to this initial blessing to humanity. And in the story of Jacob, you see kind of two places where Isaac and Esau are going to forfeit, give away this blessing. First, it comes with Isaac as you're reading through the story. Isaac is going to give up his birthright, which represents his, his ruling, his reigning, his, his authority. And Isaac is going to give up what would be his as a human in the image of God. He's going to give it up for what? For a bowl of food. 
Uh, that, I'm sorry, that's Esau. Esau is going to give that up. And then Isaac is going to be tricked by Rebekah and Jacob, and he's going to end up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And so, so the rule and reigning was forfeited with Esau and the birthright. The, the flourishing, the, the fruitful and multiplying is forfeit, forfeited as Isaac also for a bowl of food. And you're supposed to see through this as you're reading the story the Edenic themes running through where humanity is giving up what God wants to give them as a blessing uh, for the forbidden fruit. Right? They're choosing instant gratification, the food of the tree, <laughs> over what God wants to do. And as a result, Jacob ends up with these blessings. It's how it plays out. And as you read through the story, you can't help but notice that the person who's playing the part of the snake or the serpent in these stories of Esau and Isaac is Jacob himself. So Jacob's born a heel grabber, and then as we're introduced to him, as he's interacting with his brother and his dad, he's the serpent. He's the, he's, he's the deceiver. He's the, I mean, the one we know as the Satan. Is like, like that's, that's the part that Jacob is playing, the one who's going to be named Israel. That's how we're introduced to him. We could say it this way, Jacob was the kind of person that liked to leverage relationships. When he met you, he would size you up as to how you could help him. What personal advantage might you bring to him? Do you ever think that way about people? You probably do, maybe more than you're aware of. When Jacob meets anyone, he sizes them up immediately. What do they have to offer? What can they do for me? How can I get from them what I might want from them? Are they worth my time? Can they benefit me? How can I use them? Jacob is a heel grabber, a place taker, a people user, a smooth talker. He's a hustler. He's living, uh, I I found these a few years ago, what, what we could say some of the modern Beatitudes. Here's two of the modern Beatitudes. Blessed are the self-confident and self-sufficient. They wait for nothing. They have everything they want and they have it now. It's Jacob. It's Jacob. Blessed are the ones who gain the upper hand. They take full advantage of their advantages and others' disadvantages. That's Jacob. He's a heel grabber. He's a hustler. He's a schemer. Now contrast the modern Beatitudes with what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, the third Beatitude. Blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Or my favorite translation or paraphrase of that is, blessed are the gentle and trusting who are not grasping and clutching. Blessed are the gentle and trusting who are not seizing for themselves. For God will personally guarantee their fair share when he comes with his kingdom. Two very different ways to live. Grasping, clutching, seizing, or gently and meekly trusting that God will guarantee your fair share. Another way of saying this is the earth is seized by the aggressive and violent It's inherited by the meek and the gentle. Part of the Jacob story, actually maybe all of the Jacob story, is it's about a guy who doesn't believe he's going to get God's blessing, so he spends his life hurting everyone around him. 
He lies and schemes and steals the blessing and abundance for himself instead of trusting God and his timing and giving it and providing it for him. Jacob again and again and again in his story has trouble trusting that God will provide it in the way or the manner or the timing that he would prefer. So he's going to find a way to get it on his own. He's going to take it. He's going to grasp it. He's going to seize it on his terms. Again, just raises the question, how often do you and I exchange God's blessing for a quick fix? Immediate gratification, I need it now. How often do you and I spend our energy thinking of ways to scheme how to get the thing that God has already promised us? That God has already destined us for? How much energy and intellect do we waste? Because we're impatient. And waiting for our inheritance. So that's the background. You get it, it gives you a sense of Jacob, right? But we want to go looking for Jesus. So we're not going to do his whole story. We're just going to look at three more kind of isolated incidents. But if you want to kind of follow along or turn, we're going to be in Luke or Luke, Genesis 28 to begin with here. Genesis 28, and we're going to read kind of a famous story about uh, it's either going to be the stairway. <laughs> To heaven or the, or the ladder, right? This, this ladder, Jacob's ladder, Jacob's stairway. Verse 10, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. And at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and he lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway. You may have heard it as a ladder that reached from the earth up to heaven. So he's dreaming, but he sees this, this stairway, kind of maybe like this stepped up, you know, pyramid like that is. That might have been what he saw, or, or, or a ladder. He, that's, what he, that's what he sees, and he sees the angels of God. They're going up and down this stairway or those, this ladder. And we'll talk a little bit about 13, 14, and 15, so pay attention as I read through them. I'm going to come back to this very first phrase because I think it's kind of interesting. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. We'll talk about that. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. We talked a little bit about that last week with Abraham. Verse 15, which I think is one of my favorite verses in the whole Jacob story. God says, what's more, I am with you. Does that sound like an Advent or Christmas theme? God is with you, Emmanuel. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you. I will not forsake you until I have finished. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. And so he said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And so we keep reading. He names the place Bethel, Bethel, house of God. So where do we find Jesus in this story, this dream that Jacob has? Well, we could spend a little bit more time, I originally was going to, in John chapter 1, but I'm going to focus on something else here. But let me just read this. 
John chapter 1, you could start in verse 43. There's a little interaction between Jesus and this man named Nathaniel, but I'm just going to read to you the end of this, the little account. Jesus is talking with Nathaniel. Do you, do you believe that I am the king of Israel, the son of God? Do you believe this? Because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see even greater things than this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. (laughs) So, again, is it right for us to go looking for Jesus in Genesis? Well, Jesus did. (laughs) Because Jesus is right here. He's saying, look, I am. I am that stairway. I am the ladder. The, The connecting point of heaven and earth is a person, and his name is Jesus. But what I want to focus on, I want to go a little farther, because I thought this was really cool to think about. One of my favorite theologians just pointed this out to me. Our English translations are good, right? But they never fully capture all that the Hebrew can do. And I'm using the New Living Translation. It doesn't even do this. But if you have an NAS, New American Standard, or an ESV, you'll see that it says in Genesis 28, this dream that Jacob has, you'll see that it says that the Lord was at the top of the stairway. He was at the top of the ladder. But there's a little asterisk next to stood at the top that says, or could be stood beside. (laughs) And one of my favorite theologians just led me down this road of thinking, what would it be if instead of God being at the top of the ladder, yelling down, hey, Jacob, I'm with you. But no, actually, God's standing next to Jacob, next to the ladder. And it's actually God saying, no, I've actually, and and you tell me if this sounds like Christmas, I've descended down from heaven to be with you here on earth. (laughs) I like that. I like that. And then I got to thinking, well, think about this. If that's really what's happening, you can imagine this. God's saying, yeah, the angels are going up, but you don't need the angels as mediators anymore because I'm with you. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. I'm with you I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says that, right? I got to thinking about the end of the Gospel of Matthew. In in, in Genesis 28, verse 14, God is giving this promise to Jacob. You're going to bless all the families of the earth. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, the resurrected Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. You go and bless all the families of the earth. That's what you're called to do. That's actually how you bear my image. That's how you're fruitful and multiply. Make disciples of all nations, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. And again, looking for Jesus. I I think it's so cool because he's like, he's so consistent in his promises. He's the ultimate yes and amen and fulfillment to every promise that is made all the way through the Bible. It all drives us back to Jesus. And I said this last week, Paul tells us Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So I, I mean, Jesus himself says he's the ladder, he's the stairway, he's connecting heaven and earth. But if, if Jacob in his dream sees God standing next to the ladder, it's Jesus. He sees Jesus. In the first book of the Bible, the pre-incarnate Jesus stands there and says, Jacob, I'm with you always. Now, Jacob had no idea that the ultimate fulfillment of that would be, would be this baby born in Bethlehem. And that even, maybe even beyond that then, that, that Jesus would resurrect and ascend to the right hand of the Father. And now you and I in Christ, the very, the very personal presence of God. 
the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Jacob had no idea that this initial promise to be with him would lead all the way to that, but that's what happens as Jesus just magnifies and explodes these amazing promises. And so that is a promise. That is a promise. And it is a life-changing promise if you believe this and live as if it's true. God is with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Now, we're not even to the end. We'll, we'll get to the end, but I want to read one more verse from Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 35. I'm gonna, I think the slide is 1 to 3, but I just want to read verse 3. Because this is interesting. I want, this is still, we're in the context, we'll get there, but we're in the context of Jacob's been a snake his whole life. Jacob was born a snake. He trips, he trips everybody. I mean, he trips everybody he can. And this is what Jacob says, verse 3. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. Even in the midst of me being an absolute moron and idiot, God has been with me. And he hasn't forsaken me. And that kind of faithful, steadfast love of God is what is going to bring about what I think is an incredible story of transformation. But we'll get there. We'll get there in a second. The next story I want to look at is Jacob wrestling with God. It's another famous story. And again, I think it's pretty clear where we see Jesus in this. But let's, let's walk through it. Uh, Genesis chapter 32. Uh, this is the famous Israel story. Verse 24, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and we shouldn't be surprised that Jacob is all alone. He's, I told you he's hurt everyone in his life. I mean, that's just what he does because he uses them because people are a means to, to an end to him. They're not an end in themselves. People are there to be exploited for his own gain, and so he's all alone. He's all alone. He's actually preparing to go back and meet Esau, who he hasn't seen for two decades because he lied to him, right? It's just... So he's there all alone in the camp, and a man, this mysterious man, shows up. It's just this fascinating story in Genesis. This man comes out of nowhere, and he wrestles with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. In other words, we can say it this way, this mysterious man brought pain into Jacob's life by dislocating part of his life. But he had to do it because Jacob was amazed, was so lost and so consumed with himself and trying to seize for himself what God just wanted to give him. He had to do this as part of the transformational journey. So he does this, and Jacob is hurt. He's, he's out of joint. And this mysterious man says, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He said, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And Jacob says to the mysterious man, you tell me your name, please. The man says, why do you want to know my name? And then he blessed Jacob there. We never learn his name. I think we know his name. We never learn it. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face. Yeah, you tell me who this man. Yeah, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. 
When the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Well, a little bit about the wrestling match. Again, I was reading a bunch of different stuff and listening to a couple podcasts and one person says this, I liked it. The wrestling match that we see here between Jacob and this man captures the plot conflict of the biblical story. It's the story of how an irresistible force meets an immovable object. The irresistible force is God's desire to bless. We talked about that last week. God, he delights in you and his heartbeat is to bless The immovable object in the biblical story is human stupidity, selfishness, folly, and self-autonomy. And this whole story is Jacob grabbing and scheming and seizing his own way to get the blessing that God was before trying to give him as a gift all along. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe it's been you or someone else, someone wants to give you a gift, they want to, I don't know, you go on a trip, let me get gas this time. Let me buy your lunch. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. (laughs) That's like a mini version of this exaggerated story with Jacob. Jacob just will not let God bless him. He refuses to receive. I don't know if it's pride, lack of humility, ignorance, all the above. He just has to do it on his own terms. And the question then becomes, well, what is God going to do with a guy who won't believe that God just wants him to receive a gift? And so in the story of Jacob, we get a story of God having to both wound and heal, strike and bless, to get humanity to receive the thing he just wishes they'd receive. So God has to wound Jacob, and then he renames him, and then he blesses him. And Jacob says he's seen the face of God, and he limps the rest of his days. So where is Jesus in this story? Well, as I said, we don't know the name of the wrestler, but, but after Jacob is broken and blessed, he calls the place face of God. Makes me think of Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says, we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So I think there's a lot of mystery around this man, but I think you and I, reading Genesis as a Christian, knowing what we know, I think we can call this man Jesus. I think Jesus wrestles with Jacob all night long. And the journey is that the story begins to change. I'll, I'll show you the culmination in our last little piece. But, but Jacob is, is on a journey, and he's beginning to no longer see people as objects to be used. He's beginning to no longer see people as a means to his own selfish end. He's beginning to see people for what they are, beloved creatures who bear God's You could say it this way, he saw the face of God that night when he wrestled with Jesus, and he's learning to recognize the face of God in his neighbor. (laughs) He's learning to see the face of God in others. After Peniel, Jacob limps forever, and he begins to learn to not use people. Before this wrestling match, Jacob, he strutted through life just with that swagger of a con man. But after this wrestling match, after a night of wrestling with Jesus, maybe you know what it means to wrestle with Jesus for a night. Maybe you know what it means to wrestle with Jesus for a week or for months. Some of you are wrestling with Jesus right now, and he's touching your hip socket and 
and you feel disjointed, but, but, but hang in there on the process. He's with you and he's for you. And he, and he wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to walk with God, but not with a strut, with a limp. That's what he wants to teach you. Now, some of you, maybe you say, well, there's so much pain, I don't even know. It's like a megaphone. Well, here's what, I, I don't want to try to do a, a spreadsheet of pain and try to figure out how much God's trying to, what I want you to hear is God's desire is to bless you. And we live in a broken world, and sometimes God does use pain to teach us. Sometimes he uses other ways. He's very creative. But God's heart is to bless you, so hang in there. <laughs> because our goal is to be like Jesus, to learn from him how to live like him, to be the true image of God that he's called us to be, whatever circumstances we're in. Our final story, then, is Genesis chapter 47. It's actually interesting, even in some of my study this week, uh, some people think Jacob's life ends tragically. I don't. I actually think we see a dramatic transformation in this man. <laughs> and I think we see that in Genesis chapter 47. We're near the end of his life, verses 7 to 10. Joseph brings in his father, Jacob. We're going to talk about Joseph next week as kind of the last part of our series. Joseph brings in his father, Jacob, and presents him to Pharaoh. And what does Jacob do? Jacob is standing before the wealthiest, most powerful man in the world. He's never been standing before anyone who could offer him more than Pharaoh could offer him. <laughs> I mean, if, if Pharaoh is for you, you can have whatever the world has to offer. And I've told you all about Jacob, so you and I should be able to easily predict, oh, I know what, what Jacob's going to do with Pharaoh. But this is after he's wrestled with God. This is after he's spent a night wrestling with Jesus. What does Jacob do? It says Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That's all he does. Pharaoh says, how old are you? Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years if, if you have a different translation, it actually says, few and evil have been my years. That's what Jacob, that's as Jacob, after wrestling with Jesus, as he's becoming a man who, who doesn't need, he's needed more his whole life. But now he's content with what he's had. He's become a person who just wants to bless. I don't want to use people anymore. Jacob is becoming a man who, who, can, who can look at Pharaoh and rather than seeing a means to an end, he sees someone made in the image of God. And so he just blesses him. And he, he looks back, few and, e few and evil. I've, I've spent my whole life scheming for a blessing that God, an inheritance that God just wanted to give me. I wasted my life. That's what he said. I wasted my life. Few and evil have been my years. They've been hard years. My life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh again. And then he walked away. I was listening to someone kind of recount this in their own words, and you can imagine, right? You can imagine this is Pharaoh. I mean, soldiers all around. You can imagine, you don't, you don't look Pharaoh in the eye, right? You're in Pharaoh's presence, you look down. Nobody touches Pharaoh. I mean, you, you, you're in trouble, you touch Pharaoh. And you also, like, you don't turn your back on Pharaoh. But don't you just see this playing out? Jacob walks up to Pharaoh, looks him in the eye, puts his hand either on his head or on his shoulder, and blesses him. And you know the soldiers are like, what do we do? But Pharaoh, Pharaoh is just sensing greatness. And he allows Jacob to bless him. 
And then I don't think you just see. He just turns his back on Pharaoh and walks out of the room. Now, you pre-Peniel Jacob, before Genesis 32, this wrestling match with Jesus, you know he would leverage everything he could to get what he could from Pharaoh. I mean, before Jacob, would, I heard somebody say it this way, and I just like this phrase, he would have been intoxicated by that proximity to power. He would have been intoxicated by that proximity to power. But now he doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He just blesses him, and he goes on his way. <laughs> he sees Pharaoh as someone made in the image of God, as someone who should be blessed. I think it's a fascinating picture. Where do you see Jesus in this story? I think you see Jesus. Not, you don't see the visible expression of Jesus like we did in the previous stories, but I, I think we get a picture of what we're supposed to be as the people of God. It's a picture of what we should aspire to be, not fawning and falling all over ourselves, compromising ourselves for the sake of proximity to power. We're not intoxicated by the power of Pharaoh. No, we don't need anything from him. Because we're children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, amen. And so we just bless Pharaoh and we go our way. That's what Jacob does. You and I are blessed. We are children of God. We know all the promises that are ours in Jesus. What more do we need? We, we are a part of an abundant, there's nothing more that we need. And so, so we wrestle with Jesus in our own stories, in our own ways. But we allow him to, to, to make known to us this truth, Emmanuel, that he is with us, that he will not leave us. We allow him to again and again pursue us with patience. When we try to scheme and use others and use God, He'll put up with the snakes that we are the same way that he put up with Jacob. And hopefully over time, we will humble ourselves. We will give up our strut and we will learn to limp our way into the kingdom of God. We will learn to be a blessing as Jacob was a blessing. We will learn to not trip people up, right? Like Jacob did, like I tripped up Cain, but to build people up. That's what we're called to do as we bless one another. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. And then we have one more song to sing. Uh, Jesus, thanks for this. Uh, we are so thankful for the word of God. I mean, I know we covered a lot of ground. Kind of like, there's probably like 17 different things, Holy Spirit, that you could apply in people's lives this morning. But I, I think what I want to thank you for right now is just the story. We... I mean, becoming a pastor and getting invited into people's lives, I've learned over and over again how little we tell one another our stories and how much our circumstances may look a little different, but we're all struggling in the same ways. We're all longing for the same kinds of things. We're all trying to figure things out. We all get proud and self-sufficient and try to seize things on our terms. We all that's why we need the church. We struggle to trust you and to be patient for our inheritance. But I pray, Lord, I pray that you would continue to make Crossview a community of people that patiently and gently awaits the blessing that, you, that we're destined for. That we would trust and believe that, that you want to give it to us. Lord, if we are scheming other people or if we're 
trying to hustle you. Spirit of God, would you make it known to us so we can stop and repent and confess it? And would we be open even if it means pain? We don't want pain just for the sake of pain. But if we are too distracted to slow down and humble ourselves and open our hands to receive the gift that you want to give us, would we be willing to allow you to touch our hip and give us a limp so that we can be different, so that the world can be different because of what you choose to do with us and through us? Would you make us a blessing? You made Jacob a blessing. (laughs) Would you make us a blessing? In your name we pray.